Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome in, Hornets fans. This is Locked on Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the guy who was supposed to get his feet tickled by a feather held by Mariah Carey, David Walker. Oh, my goodness. That would have been an interesting proposal for sure, Doug. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that one, but that's a good one. Well, instead, Robin Lopez uh, stepped in for you. And this this happened in Las Vegas at a Mariah Carey concert, and apparently Lopez's girlfriend totally okay with it. So, you know, outside of the the gifts that God gave him to play basketball and make lots of money, he also has a girlfriend that's totally cool. I mean, some guys, some guys have all the feathers. I just got it made. All right. Well, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Podcast on your favorite teams delivered week daily. Panthers fans, make sure to head over to iTunes after the show and subscribe to the Locked On Panthers podcast with host and friend of the show, Steve Reed. We're putting the live back in Hive Talk Live Tuesdays and Thursdays beginning this fall on YouTube and Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for updates about when that's going to start. And if you have questions or comments or, hey, maybe you want to sponsor the show, get your message, your business out to Hardcore Hornets fans, email us at buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Before we get into the show, David, and by the way, we have a great show coming up. We've got Dan Feldman from Locked On Pistons here to talk about the Pistons. We've got Kelly Scaletta here to talk about Marvin Williams and where he has Marvin ranked in his top 100 list. But before we get to that, I, I was in such a good mood this morning, ready to talk Hornets, and then I, I got on Twitter and saw pretty much the worst news I could see on a given day. And that's wow. that. Are you ready for this? So yeah. West Coast pizza chain Papa Murphy's is thinking about expanding to Charlotte. If you've never yeah, heard I didn't see that coming. Yeah, yeah. If you've never heard of Papa Murphy's this is going to be a short rant because we got to get to some Hornets talk, but I have I have an obligation to to inform the listeners that Papa Murphy's is the worst idea for for not just a pizza chain but any restaurant chain. Essentially, you pay the same amount of money for your Pizza Hut, your Domino's, your Papa John's, any pizza the chain that you can think of, except you have to go pick it up. And they don't cook it for you. It's the same no. price, no, David. No, no. David, no. it's the same no. price. They don't cook it. They won't. You can ask, and they won't do it. They'll even claim that they don't have an oven. And I, I dispute that claim. I thought I escaped Papa Murphy's when I moved out of Nashville, and now to hear that they are moving to Charlotte is listen. I don't care if Papa Murphy's. Uh, uh, signed an ad deal and wanted to give us a million dollars. I'd say, you know what? Take that million dollars and buy every single one of your franchisees an oven so that you can cook the pizza that you are giving to these fine customers. 
It's a trick. I couldn't support that anymore. On a side note, Papa Murphy, if you want to uh, sponsor the David Walker segment on this show, <laughs> that is, uh, we can, there, you know, we can talk. You'll you know, take, we can talk. You'll take the million dollars. Yeah. Ugh. Hmm. I just, I can't. This is, uh, I can't. This is not good. I, I, I haven't experienced this. I like my pizza to be cooked and piping hot and served right in my face. So, being, uh, see, here's I, my problem. Their premise is we're going to charge you the same amount as you would uh, as a pizza chain that actually cooks your pizza, but then we want you to take it home and, and then spend your electric bill on cooking this pizza and your time, which time is money, people. It is. I could literally. I could take all show, but I'm not going to do it. I, I have a whole rant. It's part of my one man show, my stand up special. <laughs> Did they deliver? Because there wouldn't no, be any rush. No, you, know, you have okay. to go get it. That's gas money. <laughs> I, David, don't do this. You are baiting me right now. Don't do this. All right. So, it, so, so, yeah. so. Wait, one last thing. Mm-hmm. So, using Postmates to get this Papa Murphy's uncooked pie would not be the smartest thing to do, right? My God. Po- <laughs> Why, why even, why even work? Like, why, why, why would you even, why would you, you're just burning your money. Don't work anymore. Just, Uh, just hang out at home. All right. (sighs) Okay. Reset. Here we go. It's time to get down with, (laughs) here's something that I would love to talk about. It's time to get down with OPB, David, other people's basketball. I'm going to push this segment title. If it kills us both, if it kills the show, I'll do it. Uh, Today we take a look at the Pistons. The this year's darling of the Eastern Conference, everyone sure. having them highly ranked. Like the Hornets, they kept key pieces together in their starting unit while reassembling some of the rotation pieces, but that's not where the similarities end. Take a listen to this. Let's welcome in now the host of Locked On Pistons and writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, Dan Feldman. Dan you write nationally and you podcast for Detroit. Give me just a little bit of your secret energy source. <laughs> I can operate on very, very little sleep. Too little sleep. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. A little sleep and a lot of coffee. That's what fuels the podcast writer <laughs> you, combo. You want to know the real trick? I can tell you the real trick. Yes. No, no, no coffee. What? No that's, coffee. That's blasphemous. You, you can't get, now, I, I don't know if I'm going to convince anybody because it's probably too late, but all my friends, all my family who drink coffee, they're used to it, and they need it, and obviously the effects are less and less. I love the taste of coffee, but never got into drinking it regularly. So on the rarest of occasions where I need a little bit of coffee, you know, literally half a cup will give me a little bit of a jolt, and that's on the rarest of occasions. But it's probably too late to persuade anybody onto, onto that thinking. Dan, my first job was at a 24-hour television network, and I worked <laughs> overnight. And I worked with a friend who did not drink coffee as well. He only drank hot chocolate, which which he called a hot cup of chocolate. So he was a little weird already. <laughs> uh, so I, I've, I've had coffee ever since. I'm like, I'm not doing whatever that guy's doing. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined it for all the rest of us by calling it a hot cup of chocolate. It makes, if you didn't say that, maybe he would have convinced you. It makes no sense. All right, let's talk about let's talk about something that does make sense, or or maybe it makes sense maybe to Pistons fans, but I don't know how much sense it makes uh, to others. Um, this this these forecasts that have come out uh, basically saying the Pistons are the hot team in the East. ESPN summer forecast and Kevin Pelton's RPM based win projections have the Pistons fourth place in the Eastern Conference 
How does that jive with your expectations for the Pistons this upcoming season? I was real disappointed by that article, and I don't think Kevin Pelton's the only one, although that's the the big one, but I was going to make that my hot take, my big surprising thing, that I think the Pistons are going to finish fourth in the East this year, and I've lost a lot of a lot of the wind in my sails for that being a hot take because that seems to be a fairly popular opinion. Uh, and I thought a lot of people would have teams like the Hornets who who were better last year and have have just sort of been ahead of the Pistons a little bit lately uh, as the better team. Uh, so I think it's right on. I think the Pistons are younger. They're going to be cohesive. I think they're ready to make that next step and pass a couple teams like the Hornets. Uh, how did you have have those teams in the standings for this year? I I think that it makes sense to pick a team like the Pistons who have that sense of continuity. They have like youth and continuity, but I think the danger, and and I'm not saying that the Pistons are anywhere near the talent level. They have much better talent than I think Orlando does, but that was always a danger with, with making Orlando the hot team is that they did have youth and they did have continuity uh, at least uh, with the players, uh, but they haven't been able to make the leap. I think the difference with the Pistons is they have a great coach in Stan Van Gundy, and they have a few veterans on the roster as well. So I think that's where you can get a little safer with making that making that leap to to uh, pick the Pistons fourth in the Eastern Conference. So I'm personally okay with it in terms of just preseason. I don't know how you can be too upset about preseason expectations. Uh, but, I, but I do wonder, and I, I wonder if you wonder, how these expectations will play within the Pistons organization or within the players. Do you think that, they'll, that, that it will uh, affect them at all? That's a very interesting question. I think there could be a couple different schools of thought on that. So last year, the Pistons made the playoffs for the first time in, I think, about seven years, which is a very, very long time for a franchise that's won three championships that went to conference finals for about that long every year in a row. Uh, So there's just been a different level of expectation here. And the Pistons were very public. And this was not the first time they did it. They did it a couple of years ago and fell flat. Uh, But they were very public last year that, and with more of a new roster, they want to make the playoffs. They need to do that. That needs to change. Uh, Andre Drummond took the microphone in the before the first game to address the fans, and usually it's just a quick thanks for coming, but he added, you know, we're going to push for the playoffs. Uh, and so I think there's this real organizational commitment to embracing that pressure. It's obviously not the highest bar just to make the playoffs. A lot of teams around the league have that as their goal. Uh, but it was a real thing here in Detroit, and they met that challenge. I think this will be similar, where they're not going to be in the East upper tier with the Cavs. I don't even think they're in the tier with the Celtics and Raptors. So it's nothing over their head where I think the the level of pressure internally and externally is something that's going to get to them. Uh, I want to I want to talk about Andre Drummond. It it seems like every summer he's put under a different microscope by different people asking without asking the question they're asking is he really as good as people think he is this summer it was zach harper from cbs sports examining his rim defense and essentially arguing that though he is a huge body and he has a a good shot blocking ability the pistons are better at defending the rim when he is on the bench i I don't know if you saw that article what are your thoughts on on the big man's post defense skills I did see that article. I thought Zach raised a lot of good points. Uh, I wouldn't go as far to say that 
the Pistons are better defending the rim when he's on the bench, uh, especially considering the alternatives are Aaron Baines, who is not the most uh, high-flying. If, you, if your criticism of Drummond's going to be, it takes him a while to load up and get off the ground, which I think is fair, and that impacts his ability to, to block shots and protect the rim. Definitely a fair point, but Aaron Baines is not going to be the answer to that. Uh, the other alternative would be John Luer, who can play center in plenty of matchups, but there's often going to be opposing centers who are too strong for him, you know, somebody like Roy Hibbert. Uh, so I don't think it's that drastic, but the Pistons need Andre Drummond to be an elite defender. They they need him to cover for the players behind him, and he's not quite there yet. Plenty of raw tools, but he's just his defensive recognition is not fast enough. He doesn't make the quick rotation quite quick enough. He's gotten way better. Like This is what you expect from somebody in their early 20s, and they're making progress. I wish the Pistons could, could copy the Hornets formula a little bit where you can play good defense without needing to rely on your center quite so much the way a lot of teams do now. Is there anything that you see that the way the Hornets do it that the Pistons could copy a little bit? Well, they all play together. I mean, they all play rim defense together. I mean, they're they're everyone's ideally everyone's playing on a rope, and um, you know it, it's a lot of it's a lot of communication. Uh, they talk about last season. Marvin Williams was a quarterback of the defense. Uh, normally, that role is MKG. Of course, Michael Kidd Gilchrist injured last season, um, but their whole thing is and and a lot of this originated with I think Al Jefferson and having to sort of accommodate his. Um, defensive weaknesses by by sagging down in the post and you know you're you're not incredibly aggressive on those pick and rolls and so a lot of it is just staying disciplined and a lot of energy though gets expended running out on shooters because and you're going to give up some open three pointers uh doing that but the hornets uh that they've decided that that's the way they want to play defense and they were you know, considering that they didn't have a designated shot blocker on the team, they did an outstanding job last season uh, defending the rim. I think Steve Clifford is just fantastic, and he can put that in. And you know, he worked with Stan Van Gundy, and I I think Van Gundy is I wouldn't say envious is the right word, but you know, appreciates what Clifford does. And you know, of course, you can't keep a good assistant coach with you forever; they're going to get a head coaching job. But maybe that would make the Pistons' lives a little easier in the interim if they had Clifford who could who could help install some of this stuff in Detroit. Uh, but the main goal, the end goal, is definitely to make Andre Drummond the type of defensive center where you don't need to cover for it. You don't, he's the one covering for everybody else. This would just be to help them get through his learning curve. Well, if I could boil it down, if I could boil, boil down the strategy into a few words, I would say it would be, I don't know, construct a freaking barrier. Maybe that's how we could put it. <laughs> we'll put it that way. I don't know if it's ever been put another way, but um, I, I want to st- stay on Drummond, though. His, his free throw shooting is keeping him off the court in key situations, as admitted by his head coach. Uh, he has little interest in trying something radical like an underhanded shot. Without a change in rules in terms of the, the hacka type of play, do you ever see him being able to play offense in close game situations? And do the Pistons, who rank near the bottom of the league in free throw shooting, uh, despite having some decent free throw shooters around Andre Drummond, uh, do, do, you, do they have any kind of plan to 
make up for his deficiencies at the line? If they have a plan, I, I think they've already used it. If they have another one, I haven't seen it. I think their very limited plan was to sign Aaron Baines, who's a good free throw shooter for a center, so that in the moments you need to get Drummond out of the game, you have a viable, you know, appropriately sized alternative. Uh, other than that, I don't know exactly what you do. He's he's not a good free throw shooter. I don't expect that to change in a significant way anytime soon, probably ever. I I think the pros in his game greatly outweigh that. I still think he's a very good player, uh, but it is a liability you're going to have to work around in a way that you know maybe you wouldn't have to with a the very elite players, you know, the players with no flaws in their game or minimal flaws. Uh, but that's just a real drawback of, of having him as your star player. You just have to hope you built a big enough lead in the late minutes where the other team following it is not going to be a problem. And I think, if anything, the Pistons have been a little taken off guard by just how big the, the issue is because there's nowhere to hide him. Like if Andre Drummond sets a screen, he's involved in the play, you can hack him. It's it's an on-the-ball foul, even if he's just a screener. It makes it so hard to have him on the court. I'm going to make a weird comparison here. I think that Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a lot like Hornets power forward Cody Zeller. Ooh, I want to hear this. Well, because I think both players uh, came into the league and it have been improving every single year but they've been improving quietly, but they've also been improving in certain areas. And then uh, both players have seen their outside shooting take a little bit of a dip. For for KCP, he improved his ball handling last year, I thought, and his defense uh, took another step forward. But his three-point shooting took a dip. What do you think KCP should be focusing on this season to have a breakout year? Three-point shooting. <laughs> I don't think yeah, it's any more. I don't think it's any more complex. I don't think it's any more complex than that. I mean, he's he's a streaky shooter. There'll be stretches where he's on fire. He'll hit five of seven or something in a game. That's not uncommon to see him get hot for a game or a few. And I think maybe it's confidence issues. And I, I think that leads back to uh, what we were talking about with the defense and the difference between Charlotte and Detroit. Uh, where the communication in Charlotte is so great. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is the Pistons' best defender. He's also a pretty quiet guy by nature, and it's a little harder if your shooting guard is the one who's it's on him to communicate everything. Uh, and so you combine that, it's it's not ideal for setting up that communication, and that's, again, Andre Drummond needs to step up. He needs to do that. Uh, but to your, your question here, yeah, it's three-point shooting. Uh, if he can become more of a reliable from beyond the arc, he's going to get looks. The Pistons run a ton of Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and rolls, and there are going to be spot-up shots open uh, if he can make that. And I, I'm guessing you've seen sort of the same thing, where you have a wing whose three-point shooting is not a strength, and, and that's in MKG, and how much of a difference that can make in an offense if he could make those shots. Well, yeah, and, and the Hornets uh, fans got a preview of what could happen if he does make those shots in the seven games that he returned. He hit a above the break three and a corner three point shot, and if he can develop that, it will allow uh, Steve Clifford and company to continue to run that four out one in offense that made them so successful offensively uh, last season. So we'll see if that 
continues. Uh, two other players that I think compare very similarly are Kimball Walker, point guard for the Charlotte Hornets, and Reggie Jackson, point guard for the Detroit Pistons. Two players that were on the fringe of making uh, an all-star appearance. And I, I keep getting asked this question, and I wonder if you're being asked the same question. What does Kimba Walker, and in your case, Reggie Jackson, have to do? What what extra thing do they have to do to launch themselves into uh, not just all-star consideration, but an actual all-star selection? And honestly, I mean, there's there are little places where I think Kimba Walker can improve his game, but I, I think there's a little bit of an aspect here of you have to be considered and then if you can repeat that similar performance you you now have credibility and you can be selected it's a lot like you know they say you have to uh, lose you know an eastern conference finals before you can win one and go to the championship and it's it's levels Uh, i think all-star selections a little like that too unless you're just a absolute superstar Uh, is there anything that you think reggie jackson can do in particular uh, to launch himself into an all-star selection I think that's a a great point about needing to be considered for a year, get that attention, and then maybe the next year you can do it. Uh, I'd say the big difference between Reggie Jackson and Kemba Walker, uh, besides a little more specific than the very simple that I think Kemba Walker is better, Kemba Walker kept it up in the second half of the season and maybe even played better. Uh, So he's coming off of that. Where Reggie Jackson, yeah, he got all-star consideration, but only because his first half of the season came first. Uh, If he had his second half of the season before the All-Star break, he would not have been getting All-Star in consideration. Not that he was bad or dreadful or anything like that. He just was not nearly as strong. Uh, And so he's going to have to make a more meaningful step forward, uh, shoot a little better from beyond the arc, although he's he's on the right track for that. Uh, The big thing is going to be defensively. He really got worked in the second half of the year and have the energy to be able to run the offense and more consistently fight through all those ball screens that uh, opposing point guards are going to put him through over and over and do so at least provide a little disruption. That's going to be the real next step for him. I don't know how much that will get him direct all-star consideration because defense for guards especially, it's just not something that turns heads, but it could make the Pistons better, and as you know, teams with better records have better chances of getting all-stars uh, let's talk about stanley johnson one year later how does that pick look what are what's his outlook for this upcoming season pretty much uh exactly what you would expect one year later from when he was drafted as a teenager plenty of raw talent some flashes of it some flashes of being in over his head uh just tremendously competitive works very hard the great attitude everything you'd want in those regards uh, but just his his comfort level in the NBA on either side of the pick and roll. He hasn't, he hasn't looked there yet, still figuring out where to go and when, uh, but there are flashes. There are, are signs and everything you'd want to see so far. Uh, but at some point he's going to have to put it together. Will it be this year? Maybe the next year, maybe. Uh, but I think everything he's doing is on the right track. That's what happens when you draft somebody so young. Uh, which is, I guess, the flip side of what the the Hornets' strategy was in that draft. Instead of loading up on all those picks and getting way younger, getting Frank Kaminsky. And I think he's one of the the more interesting players in the league. Uh, He's already pretty good, but obviously less upside coming out of college as a senior. Where do you see him next year on the Hornets? 
I, I think his role will be fairly similar. Twenty, I think he averaged a little over 21 minutes a game last season. I think that number stays the same. He'll be in a, a backup power forward position, backing up Marvin Williams, who stayed healthy last season, expects to stay healthy this season. So I think he, you know, maintains that uh, uh, probably first, second big off the bench, and uh, he'll try to draw some attention outside. Now, the one thing I, I see changing is if if he has put on a little muscle, if he's put on a little beef, then I think that Steve Clifford and uh, uh, assistant coach Patrick Ewing are going to are going to want to get him looks inside more. They talked about it last season, and for one reason or another, it did not come to fruition. I think this season you see more looks for him in the post because he he just has a nose for getting the ball in the basket once he's down there. He looks comfortable. He likes uh, using a variety of moves and and his quickness to get past defenders that he has no business getting past. So I expect him. He's not. He's not lacking confidence. Um, I, I just think he's. I think he took. He was on a team and in a situation where uh, there were there were a lot of veterans and and they had a, a very uh, specific path that they wanted to take. And I, I think it's tough for a rookie to come in and say, "Okay, give me the ball. I'm going to do this, do that." I think he took a little bit. I don't know if you want to call it a back seat. I think he just played his role, which was a quiet role. Uh, hopefully you see him expand that role somewhat this next season and get more aggressive. But a lot of that will have to do with how how his body develops, if he can develop a stronger uh, NBA body. We'll see. And and he's got to get better on defense, and he has admitted that. Uh, To stay on the floor for a Steve Clifford uh, coach team, you have to play defense. You have to play defense smart, and that's what he'll try to do this next season. Would you rather have him or all those draft picks from the Celtics? I'm so. Here's my thing. I uh, I don't play craps. I, I'm not a big gambler. So I I just I think that the entire draft is is a crapshoot. I think if I mean if I'm if I'm in the war room and I've fallen in love with player X and not just Frank Kaminsky, but if I fall in love with a player, I think you take that player and because you're rolling the dice either way. Let's let's roll it on a player that you feel good about, and they felt good about the prospects of Frank Kaminsky, and I, and I think he's similar to Stanley Johnson in your description at least that he's he's raw, uh, but he's show, or he's raw offensively I think, but he's shown flashes of things in terms of his post offense that could make him a special player, uh, but you know he just needs time to develop, and I, and I think. Yeah, I think again, you just have to. When it comes to the draft, you you uh, do all the intense research that these teams do, and you fall in love with a guy, and you take that guy. Uh, I just don't. I just don't think that those lower draft picks, you know, the, the bottom of the first round. I just don't know what those really amount to. And we saw the Celtics; you know, they couldn't give them away. The Hornets weren't the only team that that didn't want those picks. So there's there's got to be something there. I think. Right, I guess it also depends on what the exact picks were, and I'm not sure we've ever seen a concrete 100% these were the picks. I think there was definitely some talk that it could have been a higher pick in a, or in the same range in a future draft. I would, For what it's worth, I would have taken the trade if I were the Hornets. Uh, although I also would have, if not taking the trade both for the Pistons and the Hornets, I would have picked Justice Winslow. But Dan, you don't drink coffee, so I don't trust a word you say. <laughs> 
Hey, uh, Dan, real quick, how how do the Pistons beat a team this season? Under what circumstances do do the Pistons win a ball game? If they're making their three pointers, they're probably going to win because they're the type of team that that one they're going to take a lot of three pointers, and those are a high variance shot, especially for the Pistons, a bunch of streaky shooters, and they're also some of these younger players who are up and down defensively who are going to be more engaged if their shots going in. Great conversation. He is Dan Feldman, host of Locked On Pistons and writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Dan, thanks for joining us. Great talking to you. Dan Feldman there from Locked On Pistons, Doug. I have to take issue with a couple of things, and it's with you, Doug. I I don't feel like you defended (laughs) coffee. I don't feel like you defended coffee well enough. Take some of your uh, Papa Murphy's rage and transfer a little bit of that to, to, okay. to back up our good friend Coffee. Um, but also, um, you know, you guys talked about being the darlings of the East, and and Dan was a little disappointed that a lot of the national guys stole his thunder there. Um, and it felt like you wanted to, you know, maybe say you weren't so sure about the Pistons there. I mean, is that accurate to say, or or is it fair that they've been put up there? I mean, you presented some good arguments to youth and. And the, and the coaching and the established talent and the continuity there. So <clears throat> some of that does make sense, I think. I just – I still think that the concerns in their offense in terms of Andre Drummond's free throw shooting, in terms of – and Dan mentioned it, Reggie Jackson, his inconsistency yeah. in terms of how he played in the first half and the second half. I don't think that those things are going away. I don't think that those things right. are due for a large improvement. And I just – I don't know if the, if the pieces – they've they've added and the reserves are really going to make that big of a difference uh in 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 turning this offense around and i I don't know if the issues that we mentioned i don't know if those are really solved by continuity whereas i look at the hornets on the other hand and i think that some question marks going in for the first unit i think can can be solved by having a year together with guys like kimba walker and nick batum and marvin williams and, you know, if you see any kind of improvement from Frank Kaminsky on defense, uh, you know, you could see that. Uh, I, I think I, I'm just a little higher on the Hornets than I am the Pistons, but certainly the the national media on board with the Pistons. Hey, by the way, uh, Coach Clifford talk, talked to the media yesterday. We're going to have Adi Joseph from Sporting News on tomorrow as well as a host of Hive Talk Live Thursdays, Justin Thomas from ESPN 730. He'll be on as well to talk about what Coach Clifford had to say. We'll have that for you tomorrow. But first, we have to continue looking at these top 100 lists. Everybody's got them. Next up uh, is Marvin Williams. He set career highs in three-pointers made and rebounds last season as he was a central piece in rim protection, perimeter scoring, and defense for the Charlotte Hornets. He ranks 65th in Sports Illustrated's Top 100 and 70th in Kelly Scaletta's Top 100 on todaysfastbreak.com. I talked to Kelly about he put, how he put his list together and why Marvin made his top players. Joined once again by Kelly Scaletta, writer for todaysfastbreak.com. He is in the middle of his Top 100 Summer Countdown of NBA Players, and we are talking to him about where he has the Top Hornets players Today, we're going to talk about Marvin Williams, who he has ranked at number 70. Kelly, welcome in. Explain to our listeners how you put these rankings together. They're a combination of win shares, win shares per 48 minutes, player efficiency rating, real plus minus, like 
weighted them and uh, what they did last year and then used that as a basis to start from. And then I just kind of projected how, how much better or worse I think they'll do this coming year, accounting for you know like how their health was last year, things like that. Well, I love these rankings because they aren't uh, just solid rankings like this player equals number 70. You, you list a ceiling and a floor for each player. And so you get it, you you give people an idea of you know what their ceiling could be in terms of their ranking and where they could fall in terms of their floor. So I really like that. You have Marvin Williams, uh, the power forward for the Charlotte Hornets, who uh, really it's strange to say that he burst onto the scene at 30 years old. Um, but you know after not living up quite to expectations in Atlanta and then spending some time in Utah. He comes to Charlotte. He has a quiet first year. And then last year, setting career highs and rebounds and blocks and minutes. And and he was he just did a great job for the Hornets. So it was really their quiet MVP. At 30 years old, it's tough to really have a high ceiling, but you have his floor at 100. Under what circumstances do you feel like Marvin Williams could fall 30 spots? Uh, that would have to do with, in part, it would, it would have to do with other people climbing. There, there were several guys like Jabari Parker that were ranked below him that, that could climb up. Uh, but the other reason is I, I felt like Charlotte just had so much chemistry last year. Uh, I think Clifford is just a vastly underrated coach, uh, top five coach in the league. And he really has learned to put the pieces together and so they had some key components like Jeremy Lin and Al Jefferson uh, leave. And uh, Marvin is one of those guys who uh, he, he, he's not the guy that's going to take over a game. He seems to be a guy that fits in. And uh, just with, 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 with the change in, in personnel, there could be some things that we, we don't really foresee that, have a negative impact on him, you know, especially when you see such a career year come out of nowhere. But I, it's a mild concern. I, that, that's a very soft 100. I, I, I doubt he falls below 80. Let's discuss his defensive impact. You list his defensive real plus minus as being .57, which looks like on paper that looks like an average number, but his defense, as Hornets fans saw last season, was anything but average on the court. Uh, uh, what do you what do you chalk that up to? Well, I think part of it is he you know he he's defending a couple of different spot positions, uh, right? He he defended a lot of four. He defended the yeah. three. He defended both of them well, and uh, so we think of a zero plus minus as being average, and anything over zero is good, and anything below zero is bad, but. Uh, the thing is, is not all positions uh, are like the average of all positions isn't zero. The average of uh, point guard much much lower than the average of the center because not all positions equally impact the defense. Um, and I think the average def- did, uh, impact of the small forwards it's like minus point three or something like that. So when you see that part of part of the reason it doesn't look as big as it is is 0.57 is actually a little better than it sounds. Then RPM doesn't always give you a, a perfect example of what's going on. I I, I agree with you. Observationally, 
he, he he's one of the best tweener guard, uh, forwards right now. Like he's not green, but you know he, he's almost to the level of somebody like Damari Carroll. And I and I was thinking about this. Um, Josh Smith and he were teammates once upon a time in Atlanta. In Atlanta, and and Smith was a big you know five stat beast, and he was all the rage. And and Marvin Williams. Forget what he was drafted, but he, he he was drafted really high, number two overall. Yeah, number two overall, and he was kind of a flop. And, you know, he went to Utah, and he's just he he was a borderline bust until last year, and then out of nowhere, he's uh, hitting his thirties, and all of a sudden, he's having the best year of his career and making all this money. And Josh Smith is completely washed out of the league, so. Who knows, maybe in five years, Michael Beasley will be just, you know, all the rage. Wow, yeah, the NBA is a is a funny beast sometimes, and, and you make a great point. I mean, he had he had knee injury concerns uh, coming out of Atlanta and going into Utah that really limited his ability uh, to get to the basket, and, and that's what really drove him more towards the stretch four position, and I think Marvin... Uh, a little bit of a beneficiary to the league and and how it shifted because I, I don't yeah. really know like when he made that switch if I, I mean I think it was more out of the necessity of of you know his lack of explosiveness from those injuries more so than him you know riding any kind of trend I think the trend found him yeah that, no I think that's huge and and you know, and it's one of the big things like ten years ago uh, a tween they called him tweener forwards. You know, and, and and the slight against them was always, well, they can't play quite play either position. And now they're called stretch fours. And everybody in the world, I mean, like, that's the most coveted thing that you can find right now is a stretch four. So it, it, in, a, in an alternate universe, maybe he, he comes in at just the right time when the stretch four is, is evolving, and maybe he has an entirely different career. But I do think that that adds to his, breakout season this type thing is that suddenly his skills are in vogue and Clifford really embraced them and nobody saw Charlotte in this space and pace system out of nowhere. Everybody talked about, oh, we're going to go pay some space and Charlotte didn't talk about it. They just did it. Marvin Williams ranked 70 in Kelly Scaletta's top 100 summer countdown of NBA players. Kelly, thanks for joining us. You can go read the full breakdown on todaysfastbreak.com and read the rest of his breakdowns as well. They're on todaysfastbreak.com. Kelly Scaletta there with some great stuff on Marvin. I I must say, sir, how dare you call Marvin Gay Williams Jr. overrated? Me, I or a bus, or a about, bus, not you. No, talking uh, Kelly. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so blind. You're, you're kind of on my I'm back this show, so I, I'm confused. You're telling <laughs> Sorry, me I didn't defend. First of all, coffee can defend itself. I've thought about this while we listen to that segment. Coffee is fine. Coffee's coffee is, is especially if you make it correctly. Coffee can defend itself just fine, sir. <laughs> no, and I'm just kind of messing around with Kelly there because God knows. Uh, if someone went back and looked at all the tapes on, on me or us, there would be more than a few uh, verbal fumbles or uh, missteps. But, yeah, you know, to call Marvin a bust, certainly the number two overall pick, I guess you look at it that way. But, uh, you know, 10 years in the league, his first six or seven years in Atlanta, 13, 15 points, somewhere in there. So, 
not not a not a bust in my eyes, Doug. I don't know. That's a conversation for another day, I suppose. But um, for where he ranked him this year, I think it made a lot of sense, right? I mean, coming off a career year, which, as you pointed out, is kind of crazy this this far along in his career. And so you would think there's a, a little step back. I mean, are you expecting that? We we really don't know what to expect out of Marvin this year, do we? I mean, we don't think. I don't think it's going to be too much of a fallback from him last year, but. Uh, with so much uncertainty kind of going in and around the Hornets. He's one of those guys that does get affected by what goes on around him. You expect regression, but I think that I hope there is some regression in terms of just pure usage because I mm-hmm. think the Hornets need to have other guys step up and play a role because I think Marvin did a fantastic job and it's the reason why he went from unranked to 70th or 65th in SI's top 100 is that he had yeah. to play multiple roles and do multiple things game after game after game. Well, if the Hornets are going to be successful this season – other players like other reserves are going to have to take those roles from Marvin Williams and ensure that he doesn't have to do as much as he did last season. So I'm talking about Frank Kaminsky and Roy Hibbert specifically, and maybe Marco helping out on that those corner threes. SI pointed out Rob Mahoney from SI in his top 100 blurb on Marvin Williams pointed out that Marvin was over 44% from the corner three. Well, I think MKG and Marco Bellinelli have to step up and and be available in the corner as well. So you hope other guys uh, start to uh, climb the heap a little bit and help Marvin Williams out so that he doesn't have to, that he sort of regresses naturally as opposed to, oh, the Hornets have to depend on Marvin for these, for X, Y, and Z, and and his body's just not holding up. So we'll we'll Well, see. Yeah, yeah. my hope for Marvin is with MKG back, right, he's not going to have to bang quite as much or they're not going to ask him to do quite as much, especially, you know, on defense and on the boards. As you guys know, he guarded so many players last year, uh, three to, you know, almost five, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that um, with MKG back in the fold, hopefully that will allow him to not wear down as fast. Because you remember, I mean, last end of the year, especially in the playoffs, like Marvin kind of faded out uh, almost completely. and. And, and wasn't as effective as he was. Some of that's playoffs, some of that scheme, of course. But um, you hope that, right, the usage will be a little less. And so that, that may help him keep that three-point percentage up to where it was last year. Because I think, you know, that's probably – that was one of the biggest things last year. Uh, they're not going to need a rebounding from this year, certainly some. But with MKG back in there, it's just not going to be as much asked of him. And hopefully that will help him kind of stay the course. Well, again, big thanks to both Dan Feldman from Locked On Pistons and Kelly Scaletta from todaysfastbreak.com for joining us. And thank you for listening to Locked On Hornets, making us part of your daily routine. We are presented by Hive Talk Live. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review and help hardcore Hornets fans just like yourself find this podcast. If you listened to us last year, we did a lot of giveaways that were around people who gave us five-star reviews. So not, you know, not saying, just saying, not saying, just saying, just just saying, we want to hear from you (laughs) as well. Email us your Hornets thoughts, your questions, comments to buzz, buzz at hive talk, live.com hive talk live is a presentation of SB nations at the hive.com. We are back tomorrow with a preview of the Miami heat and notes from head coach Steve Clifford's talk with the media from Sporting News's Adi Joseph and ESPN's Justin Thomas. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Get out your seat and jump around. Get your feet tickled with feathers by Mariah Carey. Let's swarm Charlotte. Charlotte.
It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.